behind the curtain of Australia's billion-dollar media and entertainment industry. That's entertainment. The personalities. So Lisa has not slept and neither has come. What do we even need producers for? The politics. The Murdoch uh, print media platforms no longer provide anything approaching balance to news reporting. The pressures. I'm not sure that people are aware of the impact it has. Unfiltered, unedited and uncut. Oh, I didn't even realise we were starting. (laughs) Buckle in for a hot take on the week's biggest headlines and insider scoops. He spent 37 years with the record label, but was fired in June. That's Entertainment with Jake and Viv. Starts now. What have you got on the best shows ever? Boo, we're back. I suddenly know what it feels like to be ghosted, Viv. Uh, I've turned up here every week for the last four weeks and hoping you'd be here to record this podcast, but uh, sadly not. So we're here now. (laughs) That's a lot. Oh, look, if, if you're... If you're going to throw around dating rhetoric there, Jake, I will say that that's classic fuckboy behaviour there, completely lying about the circumstances which have led us to that point. You have not been here, I have not ghosted you, and none of that is true. Uh, Which ties in perfectly to uh, one of the topics we're covering today. Uh, This week on That's Entertainment, Big Brother is officially back, but does anybody care? Uh, Is ARN's regional live and local play now in jeopardy? And in this week's hot take... Will the next Sony Music CEO please stand up? Let's begin with uh, Big Brother, Viv, which returned this week. I did watch it. We were just having a conversation about it uh, before we hit record. You're finding it a bit triggering. I'm really enjoying it because I love Big Brother. Grew up watching it. Great to see some of those familiar faces uh, come back. Didn't really hit the numbers that uh, I thought it would. Certainly didn't hit the numbers that Seven <laughs> hoped it would. Look, I think uh, Seven will say, as with all television, radio, ratings type things, that they're happy with the numbers and the numbers will only continue to build. The tidbit that gives it away to me that they were perhaps expecting more is that they sent out their highlights uh, with the numbers in which it said... 682,000 million viewers nationally. So I think what's happened there is they've had 682,000 overnight viewers uh, and then an additional 68,000 on broadcast video on demand. But I think they had the template ready expecting that that national viewer number would be over 1 million and forgot to remove that word. So we suddenly have a population bigger than any country uh, on earth, 682,000 million uh, tuning in for the Big Brother launch in 2022. Love a good uh, PR faux pas. Uh, Premiered last year to 664,000 metro viewers. So it is down in terms of that comparison to last year. But of course, they have made this show very differently to previous uh, with, I think, catch up in mind. Yeah, so they have removed the sort of live and interactive audience element, which of course was a key pillar of Big Brother back in the day if you're watching the likes of Tim Dormer and Reggie Bird the first time around when they won their respective seasons. They won because they were fan favourites and even if people in the house didn't like them or even if something went wrong internally, it was very much an interplay between the internal and the external I've spoken to a couple of people at Seven and they've said a lot of the reason that they did that was if you watch back those iconic early series 
actually what's happening is it's just a lot of people sitting around doing sweet fuck all and that just wouldn't cut through in 2022 when we have access to everyone's lives all the time whether they're doing something really exciting or sweet fuck all so instead of showing the show every day including people in the shower people talking about nothing people floating in the pool they've made it into much more of a storyline slick production with a few days squeezed in, lots of pre-recording, no live audience element and a lot more sort of survivor type challenges. It's a much more hybrid show which enables for more catch up as you don't have to watch it at the minute and you don't have to be texting in to save Tim or evict Dave. But it does mean that there is less, I guess, excitement around the the nightly show. I think it makes sense to uh, take a leaf out of uh, other shows' books, really. Uh, That survivor element was definitely there on the first episode that aired on Monday night, which I really enjoyed. Uh, But I think we'll see them probably taking uh, moments from other shows as well in order to keep the pace moving uh, and keep us sort of engaged. Definitely, and they're tapping into what a lot of reality shows have tapped into this year and over the past few years, which is that nostalgic element, bringing back familiar old contestants and pitting them against fans of the show, which is exactly what MasterChef Fans versus Favourites is Mm. doing this year over on Channel 10 as well. It's a bit of a demographic play there where they're attempting to get people like you and I who maybe watched it the first time around and want to see how those people that we recognise go. And then there can be a whole new generation who are perhaps the age that we were when we first watched it who can come in and don't necessarily feel left behind because they don't recognise anybody. It will be interesting to see how that plays out, though, in terms of the catch-up numbers because those overnight figures are a lot lower than they've previously been. But Seven will be banking on that Seven Plus catch-up and that people might binge a whole week's worth of Big Brother on, say, a Sunday night. How great is Reggie? Look, Reggie is great. I I have to be careful what I say because I've seen the first four episodes ahead of time and I don't want to slip up and and say something uh, that's that's happened that I'm not allowed to and then I'll face the wrath of Sonia Kruger or James Warburton (laughs) at Channel 7. But uh, it is a really slick production and I think there's enough elements from the old style of the show to hook in fans and I think there's enough sort of excitement and new elements that can make it sort of not seem a very outdated show. I know, uh, spoke to a few people today who uh, watched the uh, first episode. There really is that excitement around nostalgia TV and I think with Big Brother particularly maybe it didn't get off to the biggest star but I really feel like it's a grower not a shower per se. Absolutely, and it is a show you can dip in and out of because as much as they've made it a bit slicker and a bit more exciting, it is still just about the personalities and the politics of these people trapped in this fishbowl. So if you miss something, you can jump in, catch up. If one of your favourites gets evicted, the show isn't necessarily ruined if you know the spoiler ahead of time. There's still enough uh, drama and intrigue surrounding it all. So I think it will pick up. It's just a much more saturated and fractured market than it was in the early 2000s. Now, you spoke to Sonia Kruger, one of my favourite television presenters. Uh, what did she have to say about the new format? Anything anything interesting? Look, she did describe herself as a uh, Big Brother fan, not necessarily one that would go uh, fantastically well in the house herself. 
I asked her, I think the main thing for her from a production and hosting point of view was whether it's lost its excitement and its buzz now that she's not in front of a hyperactive crowd at Dreamworld. She's just speaking to the camera, speaking to them. She doesn't get to pick up on the vibe of the audience and the fans. She said actually it's still just as exciting because she's sort of beamed into the house to talk to the housemates without any knowledge of what's gone down for the past few days. So she sort of becomes house mother, therapist, host, interviewer, psychologist. She's got to unpack what's happened for viewers who've already seen it, but she actually hasn't. So she's got a sort of really tough job of of balancing all that and making it seem exciting and interesting and live, even though it's uh, pre-recorded. So I think uh, she's got a tough gig she doesn't get to bounce off the crowd but I think you know Channel 7 loves a bit of Sonia Kruger I can't think of a program that she's not on at the moment other than (laughs) 7 News so uh, she's more than up to the task. He's saying all those roaring crowds uh, are sound effects as the housemates enter how disappointing. Yeah I think they could have done without those bizarre sound effects where the uh housemates were walking into the house and were clearly just in front of the production crew and the camera people and Sonia Kruger and for some reason even though it was patently obvious that there was uh, no crowd and the show isn't even marketing itself on being a live interactive experience anymore they weirdly had the sounds of these crowds cheering uh, in the background which look was a slammed uh, online but I guess it's better than an awkward silence as uh, Tim helps Reggie walk down the red carpet. All right, still to come on that's entertainment, our hot take for the next Sony Music CEO, please stand up. But up next is ARN's regional live and local play, now in jeopardy. An announcement yesterday that uh, ARN was going to roll out some of its uh, city breakfast shows and drive shows to its regional market following the acquisition of uh, Grant Broadcasters last year. Took a few people by surprise, but not that many, to be honest. I think everyone probably saw it coming. Uh, Just nobody really wanted that news. I I sent a few text messages out to those uh, within Grant stations or Aaron Regional stations, I should say, uh, today. And uh, the feedback on that announcement wasn't overly positive from those people, which is sort of to be expected because uh, syndication is a scary thing for people working in regional radio. But it does mean a bigger footprint for the likes of Kyle and Jackie and we know Kyle likes a big footprint. <laughs> Kyle does like a big footprint and it's part of something he's been pushing for for a long time anyway. He's made no secret of the fact that he wants his breakfast show to be the first one to go national, if not perhaps even bigger. They have their iHeart Radio streaming platform, which he sees lots of opportunities in, in terms of becoming a premium product, a multimedia product, and something that can be accessed anywhere, anytime. It's no surprise that ARN has decided to broadcast its most successful and biggest budget shows into the regions. They will sell it as an exciting opportunity for advertisers. They will also sell it as an exciting opportunity for regional radio audiences to have access to the slick, exciting productions of Metro Radio and the number one shows in the country. It will also help to drive those regional audiences to that iHeart radio platform and give them that deeper uh, digital radio and music streaming experience. 
I can understand why people are concerned, though, because ARN's rival Southern Cross Stereo, of course, syndicated a lot of its breakfast programs across the, the hit network and lots of presenters who lived in regional areas were ditched uh, in favour of one state-based regional show for each respective state. That was a big enough deal at the time, let alone if you're going up against uh, Kyle and Jackie O. Now, at the moment, they're just sort of being slotted into evening slots, not kicking out the regional breakfast teams. But in a battle of a regional breakfast team versus Kyle Sanderlands, I think we know who would come out the winner there. Yeah, that's a good point. Just to be clear, if you're playing catch-up, these shows aren't replacing what's already there in terms of breakfast or drive. All of these stations uh, are keeping those local shows. So these are catch-up shows or, you know, hours of power and and that sort of thing. So Kyle and Jackie O uh, and Will and Woody are going national, as are from the Pure Gold Network, Jonesy and Amanda and also uh, Christian O'Connell. It does make sense from a commercial perspective. I think these are great shows to sell. I think they're potentially an easy sell for a lot of these regional stations Uh, but that does come at the cost of local programming. Yeah I think it is massively an advertising and a monetization play particularly because the Boomtown initiative has been in the works for, for years now and has been pushing the idea that regional audiences are affluent, they're diverse, they're important and they're being largely overlooked uh, by media agencies and advertisers when they're booking their campaigns. Now that they're under one roof at ARN with ARN Regional, they can sell much bigger packages, access a much broader demographic of people without having to slot it into a thousand different shows. I guess uh, ARN saw the potential uh, backlash or sort of fear-mongering coming with uh, Duncan Campbell, their chief content officer, saying live and local content is still well and truly at the heart of ARN. With over 100 breakfast teams now sitting under the ARN umbrella, we are passionate about and committed to continuing to create content that each community wants to hear. So I guess it will just be a case of wait and see uh, for how long that lasts uh, but they're definitely still pushing the idea that Kyle and Jackie O are not coming for those regional jobs. So are we saying that they've got a hundred radio stations with local breakfast shows because that number doesn't sit right with me that seems a lot. I have pulled up the story that I wrote on the 12th of November last year when ARN purchased uh, regional radio operator Grant Broadcasters and uh, my second paragraph uh, says the deal will give the combined company 58 stations across 33 markets and 46 DAB plus stations, which of course is the digital radio brand. So I'm not sure uh, what Duncan means by 100 breakfast teams uh, now sitting under the ARN umbrella. Uh, You would have to ask him. I think Duncan's seeing double there. Uh, Perhaps he's including (laughs) drive shows as well, which uh, certainly would be feasible. Uh, But I I bet you 100 bucks. there's not 100 breakfast teams now sitting under the uh, ARN umbrella, but happy to be proven wrong. At what point can you sort of no longer get away with the live and local positioning. Is, is that purely based on breakfast or what about drive as well? I think they can still get away with it, particularly because the grant broadcasters stations that they have bought are really local in the sense that a lot of them are named after the region in which 
they operate. You know, we don't just suddenly have 100 KISS stations across the country, which could well be a reality one day. But at the moment, we still have hyper-local radio teams in terms of the content directors running them in these little towns and reporting on the local news with a local news reader, a very local, well-known, locally branded station. So I think having uh, Kyle and Jackie O, Christian O'Connell, Will and Woody or Jonesy and Amanda beaming in for an hour of an evening could spell the beginning of the end, but it's definitely not the end. I think the turning point for that will be when we start seeing uh, a lot of the regional stations perhaps having the the kiss lips or their music strategies changing, which uh, the CEO of ARN, Kieran Davis, has previously denied is on the cards. You know, he has said that the local content directors, the local music directors know their markets, know their demographics, know their playlists, and ARN doesn't want to swoop in with a one-size-fits-all solution and blow all that up. Uh, while we're talking about ARN, we should acknowledge uh, that they've officially sold for KQ as well in Brisbane, which will no longer be music uh, and based on its new owners, all sports. Yeah, so selling for KQ was, I guess, an unfortunate uh, outcome of ARN purchasing grant broadcasters because it meant they had uh, too many radio broadcast licences within uh, that wider Brisbane market. So the Australian Communications and Media Authority said they had to get rid of one. Uh, The ACMA didn't specify that that had to be 4KQ. So obviously 4KQ superfans and perhaps some people from inside the building feel a bit like it didn't have to be a done deal, that it was 4KQ that got the chop. But that is what ARN decided to do. Uh, It was part of the Pure Gold Network, so played a similar style of music to WSF am in Sydney and gold uh, in Melbourne. It has been bought by uh, Craig Hutchison's sports entertainment network, SEN though, which is a sort of 100% talk and sport format, which would mean uh, the end of that music format, the end of that breakfast show and a completely new team, completely new format, completely new approach, which I don't imagine uh, will rate as well as 4KQ did. Yeah, and I mean the breakfast team uh, in at 4KQ really were, uh, with Laurel, Gary and Mark, an institution in the market. Yeah, and despite being sort of on AM uh, with a, an FM format and all the restrictions that that entails in terms of, you know, broadcast quality and, and people finding the station and all of that, they still often topped uh, the ratings and could often be overlooked by the media who sort of uh, forgot to tell their story or forgot about them. But despite the media sometimes uh, forgetting that they were chugging away, they were really pulling in solid ratings for ARN and the Pure Gold Network, particularly that uh, really strong team of Laurel, Gary and Mark. Uh, So there are definitely fans out there who are sad that that program and and that format is going and if you're not a a sports fan there's definitely uh, not going to be anything for you to listen to on that uh, 693 station anymore all right up next our hot take of the week that's entertainment hot take it's been almost a year since uh, Dennis Hanlon's ousting from Sony Music in Australia and the record company is still without a CEO uh the publisher of 
the Bragg Media and CEO Luke Gerges penned an op-ed which was published on the Music Network on Tuesday asking and really just looking at why the label uh, and particularly Rob Stringer, the global chief, hasn't installed a new CEO yet. Are you surprised that we're sitting here 11 months since Dennis's departure wondering why there's no CEO yet? I certainly didn't think they would rush it because they definitely needed some breathing space no matter who took over between, you know, the raging burning fire that Dennis Hanlon left in his wake and the subsequent Four Corners expose about him. You wouldn't want to the next day have a CEO announcement because all the stories would be conflated and this person wouldn't have any room to breathe or make changes or have a voice in the media because it would still be about Dennis Hanlon facing the music and the subsequent fallout. I wouldn't have anticipated almost 11 or 12 months uh, between CEOs then, particularly because Dennis was, uh, for all his faults, obviously, a a very well-known leader, a very prominent leader within the music industry. So to go from having somebody at the helm for decades and decades who's also heavily involved with the ARIA board and heavily involved with various initiatives within the sector To go from that to a complete leadership vacuum is a massive contrast and I think it's probably doing damage to Sony in the sense of enabling them to move on from Hanlon's exit and his era, in the sense of uh, reaffirming their commitment to Australia and having a new direction, a new strategy and new priorities. It's just sort of must be difficult to be working at Sony without even a figurehead there to be pulling everything together. Yeah, a few thoughts on that. I mean, chatting to people who are working there right now at different levels within the company, there is definitely a sense that it is a better place to work uh, purely because uh, Dennis is no longer there. Uh, So, I mean, that's a resounding sort of bit of feedback. So I I think that's important to note. Uh, But yes, there's no CEO and I'm surprised that they didn't install uh, even an interim uh, CEO while they go through the recruitment process. And more so, less surprising, and perhaps more disappointing um, is just the lack of show of leadership from New York on this. I mean, you would think that it would be a prime opportunity given the serious allegations uh, and uh, stories that have come out and been published in the media in the wake of Dennis's exit, not necessarily about Dennis, uh, but about what has happened uh, during an employee's time at Sony, that they wouldn't put somebody on a plane to come over and uh, stand up and, and talk to staff and just show and demonstrate leadership. I found the same thing from their uh, interactions with media, at least from my experience. Anytime you inquire about it or ask for an update or a timeline or any kind of comment, it's sort of met with a why is this a story type vibe. What do you want? Why would you be talking about this? Who is asking this? Well, why would we be asking about this? Because it's been almost a year since one of Australia's biggest and most prominent record labels hasn't had a CEO. Everybody here in the music market is talking about it. So I don't know if it's a naivety as to how big and important the story is and was to Australia's music industry, whether it's a dismissiveness of how important Australia is to their global strategy or whether it's just an indication of how much they don't want to talk to the media 
uh, about this, but it's it's really frustrating that they sort of act like it's a non-story and there's nothing to be said. I understand they can't share their state secrets with us and say, oh, by the way, we're going to appoint this person, please don't tell anybody. It's more uh, the attitude than the fact that they're not saying anything. I spoke to uh, quite a senior music lawyer this week uh, who suggested that um, it's probably a case of just not prioritising Australia uh, and made the reference that a lot of global conglomerates are often surprised to find that they have an Australian branch. Uh, That's not the case with Sony. Dennis really is and was woven into the fabric of the company. He was their longest serving employee. He had been employed by them by... 50, 51 years uh, as CEO for um, almost 40 of those, 38 years, I think. Uh, So I think it's more likely a PR strategy, uh, which is one of the four sort of possible scenarios as to why Sony doesn't yet have a a new CEO in Australia that Luke's outlined in this piece. Uh, You have to wonder how far away that will be. I mean, at what point uh, has the dust settled? Is there a fifth option, uh, Luke having outlined for uh, the fact that Sony potentially had little visibility of Australia for 38 years, a strategic economic EBIT decision, a PR strategy, as you've mentioned, Jake, or a lack of urgency and priority. Is there a fifth option that perhaps uh, they just haven't found somebody and the people that they want don't want the job. Yeah, it's very probable that it's hard to recruit for this role. I mean, there's there's a lot of sort of whispers circulating in the industry that uh, that Stringer is speaking to a number of potential women, not necessarily from within the music industry, but associated with and with knowledge of uh, for this particular role. Uh, as to who would want it is is the sixty four million dollar question. Um, I think it really is more so to do with um, look there'll be somebody out there that's willing to take that role uh, and feels like they are the person that can come in and turn the ship around, particularly given perhaps at that time, uh, you know, there is a bit of water under the bridge and people are beginning to sort of move forward internally um, without Dennis there. But I do think, uh, realistically, this is more a case of saving a few dollars uh, while they can. Well, surely 11 months of CEO salary saving is enough uh, and they can now get a bit of a wriggle on before we hit the next financial year. Uh, yes, that is true. Well, we'll find, we'll find out in due course. There was, uh, we ran another piece on the Music Network um, not that long ago around uh, Tim Pithouse, who was, of course, employed at Sony Music Australia and was tipped to be one of the potential candidates to uh, replace uh, Dennis Hanlon at some point in the future. He moved over to um, The Orchard uh, in a very senior role in New York. Uh, we know that he's now resigned from that role. I get the sense that from chatting to uh, him on text and also to the comms team in New York, that he's probably staying with the company in some capacity. Uh, My guess is it's probably not uh, the CEO of Australia role, uh, but uh, you never know. That's another comms strategy that's been a bit drawn out and unclear as to what's going on behind the scenes. The announcement of his departure before the announcement of of what's next is... is often an interesting one and, and can lead to uncertainty and and whispers. And we were told to sort of hold on to our hats. The big announcement uh, is coming. I've subsequently let go of my hat because nothing nothing has happened there and uh, we're, we're still not quite sure what the future uh, of Tim within that organisation is. Obviously, people started speculating 
it could be uh, the CEO role, but they certainly haven't been in a rush to tell us what's going on there. Uh, no, my hand got sore as well. I've let go of the hat <laughs> and uh, I check in every now and again. Uh, and as soon as as soon as we know, uh, <laughs> you'll know. I think that's about it for this week. Yes, I, I think that's probably enough and perhaps we'll see uh, the audience again in five weeks or whenever we next uh, stop ghosting each other. Whenever we feel like it, you know? <laughs> It's a surprise to us as well. (laughs) It's a surprise to us as well, exactly. Yeah, see you next week. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review this episode on your favourite podcast app. If you have a news tip for next week's show, email us tips at thatsentertainment.com.au.